Welcome into the pilot episode of the Bracket Breakers podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Pence. With me, my co-host, Dylan Jackson. What's going on, Mr. Jackson? I am doing great today. Uh, I'm just so glad that college basketball is back. How are you do, doing today, Dalton? Oh, I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, not necessarily in the nitty-gritty just yet. College, um, you know, the um, conference plays a little over a month away, but it's Feast Week officially. Uh, I think they said over... 200 hours of basketball in the next seven days, so definitely a lot to be excited for there. Some big news to talk about firsthand on the docket. James Wiseman, the Memphis center, handed a 12-game suspension, uh, deeming him potentially eligible on January 12th against South Florida if, and this is a big if, he is to pay a quote-unquote $11,500 charity or $11,500 fine essentially to a charity of his choice. Now, obviously I mentioned a fine, but I mean, this is, seems like new waters for the NCAA is, is the NCAA starting to fine its players that they don't allow to make money in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of unbelievable, but unbelievable to me just because they're forcing a player to donate to charity. And I mean, charity is good and all, but you can't force someone, especially someone that's not going to be able to make money off of their own name, nonetheless, even get paid by their respective team to. I mean, you, you just can't do that. And the NCAA has done that. And I would not like it if I were James Wiseman. I don't even think I would. I don't think I would do it if I were him. I think I'd either go to Europe or play in the G League for this year. It's just, it's ridiculous that the NCAA thinks that these players just have, you know, $12,000 lying around that they can just pay this fine and continue to play college basketball. It's just incredible. It's it's ironic because a the NCAA is is an organization that doesn't does not allow allow their players to profit off of their likeness at least not yet, and b Wiseman was taking money due to his family being in kind of a of a trouble in terms of financial standing. So for him, to, you know, eleven thousand five hundred dollars is not a small amount of money. Now, granted, it probably will be to this young man a year from now. However, I mean, we're we're in the we're in the present right now. He's still a college student, not making any money off of his likeness. So. You know, I don't want to say that the NCAA is using this as kind of bait and then going to uh, reinvestigate when he actually pays, uh, assuming that he pays the uh, money to the charity. But, I mean, when you look at it, this is kind of unprecedented, uncharted waters that the NCAA is, is kind of taking a turn into. But I think this is kind of a dangerous road, a dangerous game that the NCAA is playing. Yeah, I mean, and the in-state tuition for Memphis is $9,000, so the fact that they're finding him more than what he would actually be paying uh, if he were to actually go to Memphis is just ridiculous. That is that is incredible, and the NCAA, there's no way that they're going to be looked at as, you know, the saviors in, the, in this respect. It's just... No. It's it's horrible what they what they did. And I mean, I would not like it if I were James Wiseman. I would be cautious if I were, you know, Cade Cunningham or someone coming in next year. It's just I I was in disbelief when I saw the news. I disbelief for sure. Uh, You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I am a Kansas fan. You know, to see Silvio DeSosa or his handler allegedly taking two thousand five hundred dollars and getting suspended for over a season and then getting reinstated after almost two calendar years and seeing Wiseman's family allegedly taking $11,500 or more, depending on what the actual amount was and only being suspended 12 games. You know, I, I, I don't like how the NCAA goes back and forth. It doesn't seem like there's true protocol 
in terms of the NCAA's decisions. You know, it, it always goes back to, um, you know, Louisville admitting their faults and still uh, the NCAA not taking it easy on them. Missouri kind of following suit there. It's like if you play by the NCAA's rules, you're still going to get burned in the end. So I'm really kind of shocked that the NCAA is even allowing Wiseman to get reinstated as quick as he is. Agreed. And I mean, I thought he was going to be suspended the entire season, if not more. Um, I just I didn't think he would be able to come back. But I think in reality, what the NCAA is doing is they're making sure that they can, you know, inevitably profit off of this player. And uh, if he does come back for for the Memphis Tigers, then that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to make money off of his name. And that's just, I mean, it's incredibly sad. Um, But at the same time, I I don't know. The NCAA is just, there's no way that they're going to come out in the right uh, just with this whole situation. And the fact that, you know, we still sit here in 2019 where players, you know, I mean, the NCAA has made progress towards players profiting off of their own likeness. Um, however, that still isn't in effect and it won't be for a couple of years. So the fact that we're in 2019 and, you know, the NCAA is still having these problems just goes to show you how ineffective that corporation really is. Yeah. And, you know, when I, when you kind of look at the DeSosa, when you compared the DeSosa situation to the Wiseman situation, you can't tell me that, uh, you know, the, the level of talent doesn't determine, the level of penalty that the NCAA responds with, you know, if this, if DeSosa or any other role player on a, a top team comes down against these allegations, they're more than likely suspended for a season, if not more. However, a player like Wiseman who um, has garnered a lot of hype over the past couple of years in high school and AAU ball to be able to play this year for Memphis. I mean, it would be foolish for the NCAA to keep him out, but assuming well, I mean, for the next 12 games, at least he is going to be out. Uh, Memphis has five freshmen averaging over 10 a game. Wiseman included in that. Uh, what is your outlook for the Memphis Tigers now that Wiseman is at least temporarily not on the court for them? I still think that Memphis is going to win their conference. And um, I mean, he's only going to be out for essentially a month and a half. And that's really that's not that bad. Uh, he should be able to come back, you know, before the conference tournament. Um, assuming he doesn't get injured in the time that he's not playing, um, and assuming that he actually does come back and does pay that $12,000, which I don't think I would if I were in his shoes. Um, however, uh, I, I think that they should be able to maintain, you know, like a five or six seed in the conference. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the NCAA tournament. I think they'll end up one of those two. Um, I think they'll fall off just a little bit because that team is of freshmen they're very inexperienced uh but you know they can hold their own with any team essentially just the talent is there uh it's just a matter of whether they can put it all together you know penny hardaway we'll see we'll see what he can do you know even with james wiseman i'm not necessarily sold on memphis as a team with a uh that is poised to have a deep tournament run just because you mentioned there is a ton of inexperience and the NCAA tournament is a different ball game um, you know, I look for a, a guy like Precious Achua, a top 10 recruit in the 2019 class, to step up and make big, bigger strides than what he has. Lester Quinones, Boogie Ellis, and DJ Jeffries to follow suit and pick up the slack there. But Memphis necessarily isn't too deep of a team at whenever you get past those five. I know they have some veterans kind of seasoned throughout the mix, but there, there's not a ton of production coming from those guys so it's going to be interesting to see what how memphis responds in terms of adversity i do think that they win the american athletic conference i don't think that there's a ton of um, resistance 
when it comes to the opponents of that conference. But uh, when it comes to tournament time, I just think that, you know, this is a team that really may struggle in the first round matchup, depending on if they get, you know, a tough mid-major team, depending on that seeding. So we'll see. Um, you know, it seems like in years past, it seems like every year the cliche saying is, oh, college basketball is wide open. I mean, outside of the 2015 team when, or the 2015 season when Kentucky went 38 and one, it really does seem like this season there is a ton of parity, just like that of the NBA. So, I mean, we've seen the top 10 teams struggle. I mean, Mississippi State lost to Kentucky. Kentucky turns around and one ups them by losing to Evansville. Kansas loses to Duke. Duke still kind of looks sloppy in that win. And Louisville has handled the opponents that they've had early, but nothing uh, to really get excited about. But um, who are the top team? I mean, if you, if you had to pick a top team in college basketball right now on in late November, who would it be? I mean, it's probably one of the four ACC teams. Um, it's it's either going to be Duke, Louisville, UNC, or Virginia, probably one of those four. And the fact that the ACC even has four players in the top eight is just incredible. Do you uh, buy into Virginia? What are your thoughts on Virginia? Because, I mean, they lost everybody and their brother. I mean, do you buy into Virginia this year? I think that that program is solid enough to continue top ten play this year. Uh, just, you know, their coach and just... I mean, I trust that uh, I trust Virginia. Um, I think they'll, I mean, probably end up being a top four seed come March Madness. However, I wouldn't necessarily take them to to win the ACC. Um, as for the number one team, however, I have got to go with Duke. Just their defensive identity is incredible this year. Trey Jones looks like he's on another level. Um, and, and just the freshmen that they've surrounded him with, it, it's going to be a good year for Duke. You know, the best thing Coach K could have had outside of uh, Zion returning is having a guy like Trey Jones back. You know, I, I can argue, and you know, this may be a scolding hot take. I would if you're looking at excitement coming back, I think Trey Jones helped this, helps this team out more than a guy like potentially RJ or Cam just for the fact that what he brings to the table. I mean, in terms of being able to instill confidence, not only that, but being able to keep, keep this team composed down the stretch. Um, Trey Jones is a gamer, a point guard to every true sense of the word. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how other guys like Cassius Stanley, if he can continue to do what he's doing. I'd love to see more out of Wendell Moore, uh, no pun intended there. Uh, and Matthew Hurt has looked good early on in, in um, out-of-conference play. And I want to see a guy like Vernon Carey be able to, you know, show what he showed in high school as well. So I think Duke will be my number two team. I'd have to go with Louisville right now. I know that they have not been necessarily battle-tested yet. Uh, they do have kind of an interesting December with uh, Michigan, Texas Tech, and Kentucky. But um, I think that they're as deep as any team in college basketball. Jordan Nora, uh, projected first-round pick, in my opinion, has been outstanding, shooting over 50% from the field to start out this year. You've got guys like Dwayne Sutton, Steve Enoch, Sam Williamson. I mean, you can go down the line. They're literally too deep at every position, and they still have two key contributors who came back for their first um, minutes of the season last night against South Carolina Upstate. So it's really going to be interesting to see how they respond to – Michigan, Texas Tech, and Kentucky, all three teams that can, you know, exploit weaknesses. So, 
Yeah, I like Louisville. Um, really, just the whole ACC in general this year is going to be an amazing watch. I cannot it's wait. It's going to be fun. It's going to be start. very, very fun. You know, but I, I, I'm just not sold on Virginia. You know, but it seems like every year that I say that, I always get burned because Louisville and Virginia have this. I guess you can call it a rivalry because I mean Louisville's won two, two out of the eight or nine matchups since the Cards joined the ACC back in the. 2014-15 academic year um but you know i i had to question where the scoring comes from and you know outside of last year virginia is a team that perennially struggles in the NCAA tournament because their their ability to go to get a bucket kind of just disappears and it's really kind of based upon defense i don't think that kihei clark and braxton key are necessarily two guys that you can rely on to get you buckets now if you're talking about a freshman year Alabama guard Braxton Key, I think it's a different story, but um, I have to look at uh, Mamadi Diakite and Jay Huff to be able to pick up the slack. So it's going to be interesting to see how Virginia uh, responds in in conference play. They almost lost to Vermont. Now, Vermont, albeit they're probably one of the best mid-major teams in the country with Anthony Lamb, still only beating them by five or six at home. So it's going to be interesting to see how Virginia works. Uh, you know, one of the top teams, Kentucky, we talked about beat Michigan State, kind of looked interesting doing so. Tyrese Maxey, a guy that we'll talk a little later on in terms of draft stock, showed that he's an absolute gamer, an absolute gamer. However, kind of went a little missing in the game against Evansville that they lost in Rupp Arena, and they almost lost to Utah Valley uh, just a couple nights ago as well. So, I mean, what, what's the problem with Kentucky right now? Is there anything to be panicking about on November 20th? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be panicking about anything. I think this is still a really solid team. the The problem that Kentucky has is they're just they're really youthful. They they don't have much experience. You know, Tyrese Maxey, Khalil Whitney, Keon Brooks are all freshmen. Um, and you know, EJ Montgomery. I think he's only played a couple of games so far. Uh, but he's kind of I mean, he's, he, he's very basketball young. He he's very raw, kind of very imma, immature in his game. But he's got a lot of talent. It's just. He, he hasn't shown the aggression that I've wanted to see this year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he still um, could end up being a first-round pick this year if he plays well enough. The problem, as you said, I mean, it's his consistency. Uh, so I think Ashton Higgins is a – he's going to be one of the better guards this year. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander of a couple of years ago. He's just kind of twitchy. Uh, he's got a really good feel for the game, good defensively. Um, and, of course, Tyrese Maxey is going to be the player to watch on this team. He's currently leading them in points with 16. Um, just a really solid two-way guard uh, from both the one and the two. So I really like Kentucky. I think they'll be fine. Of course, you know, losing to Evansville isn't favorable. But, I mean, it, it's a young team. These are things are going to happen. I think you can look at it both ways. I think that two things can be true at the same time. I think that, yes, it is early, so there's not too much room for concern. However, I do think that the two, the last two games are concerning in their relative perspective, and, they ha- and Coach Cal has to find an answer. I think the biggest woe right now for the Wildcats is the fact that they're shooting 13 of 61 on the season. That is literally the b- bottom 10th in the nation. I mean, three. I don't know how many D1 teams are on register, but yeah. 300, 349th in the nation isn't good however way you spin it. I mean, they're only getting about 43 assists per game, which is just is 281st in the nation. So they're definitely not getting uh, open shots. I think this is a team that ex- would excel out in transition because you have guys like Quickly, Hagens, 
and Tyrese Maxey who can fly down the floor. But I mean, you just look, I, I, you know, when I think of a coach Cal team, I think of a team that has a kind of a premier big man that they kind of exploit, but um, you know, there is no PJ Washington and that's, and that's hurting them this year. Nate Sestina, the transfer from Bucknell hasn't really done anything worth noting, kind of uh, got exploited on the defensive end against Evansville. He's only shooting 22% from deep. He was supposed to be a kind of a, a three-point big man. Ashton Higgins hasn't hit a three this year, He's, but he's averaging 12.8 a game. Nick Richards has really stepped up for the Wildcats, almost averaging a double-double. But, you know, Nick Richards is your best big man. You know, and, you know, no disrespect to that guy, but that's kind of scary because you really need guys like E.J. Montgomery to step up. Khalil Whitney has been, I wouldn't necessarily say good, but I don't think he's been bad either. He's just kind of been, eh. I mean, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they've only had 13 made three-pointers this year, which is, that is horrible. That is a, not that's good. That's abysmal. They're, you know, I, I knew coming in the season that they probably weren't going to be a great three-point shooting team, but I didn't think that that was going to matter too much because of the athleticism that they have. But, Jesus Christ, 13 of 61 is so, so bad. I, I, I don't know the math on that, but I want to say it's less than 20%. It's 21.3. Okay, well, you know, that I, what's two percentage points? I mean, gee, that's still not a good statistic whatsoever. How do you spin it? But, you know, um, me being situated in Louisville right now, there's no doubt in my mind that Kentucky will go 15 of 19 from three when they play the cards in late December, it really never fails. So, you know, we'll move on from that with Kentucky. Um, there's a lot of parody, like I mentioned, who are some of the teams that we should watch out for kind of as we drift into December and moving, inching our way closer to conference play. I really like Oregon. Uh, you know, Dana Altman is probably one of the better basketball head coaches in the nation. Uh, I agree. really, transfer uh graduate transfer anthony mathis is an amazing shooter from this team there was a game earlier this year where he hit like nine of 11 threes in a single game and that is incredible if he can you know if he can be a consistent shooter from three that's going to be a huge addition for oregon uh and you know you guys got you have guys like peyton pritchard uh and and some other freshmen that they added this year uh like cj walker so it's going to be interesting to see how they piece all these new guys together but I really, really like this Oregon team. So you're telling me that Mathis had in that game alone almost totaled UK's three point totals from the whole season. That's that's just I see that I, know. I mean that's just crazy. But I, I like your point there. I think Peyton Pritchard is a guy that's going to be kind of the gauge in terms of how far this team goes. I think it'll honestly go as far as he will go, just because you know, the point guard's value in the college system is kind of inflated. Just because you you know you're not necessarily I mean you are going on talent but you're also going on uh, team chemistry and um, overall cohesion on the court so I think that Peyton Pritchard definitely the veteran veteran signal call, not signal call I'm thinking football but you know what I mean point guard I think that um, in terms of Oregon it's really going to be scary when you see all these grad transfers start to piece it together I mean assuming that they will but I mean yeah. it, it seems like that's the name of the game for grad transfers is if they can piece it together. So, I mean, definitely yeah. Dana Altman is one of the better coaches to be able to form them, them together. Speaking just, of uh, another, Just one more note. 
Go ahead. One more note. Uh, Peyton Pritchard and Anthony Nat- Mathis, the uh, starting backcourt for Oregon, both are from the same hometown and went to the same high school during the same years. Well, so there you go. They do have well, they do have a little well, bit then of chemistry. Then that chemistry is there. I mean, that, you know, that's kind of one of those interesting stories that kind of makes you smile because it's like, hey, you know, uh, everything kind of makes its way back to each other sometimes. So I definitely that's kind of one of those things that you would you'll be kind of looking forward to is just seeing if that chemistry is there. You know, uh, admittedly, I haven't seen too many Oregon games just because of the times that they play. But, I mean, at the same time, with conference play starting, definitely going to be checking more into that. Another team from the Pac-12 that I think we should be looking out for, although they're still – they're already kind of on a little bit of a high regard. Arizona's 4-0. I mean, Zeke Naji, a guy, uh, kind of a, a big man who saw his stock rise a ton in his recruiting class is absolutely blowing up for the Wildcats. 21 and six rebounds a game. Definitely showing out there. Nico Mannion, who we'll talk about, one of the best true point guards, best offensive players in college basketball this year. And then you have Josh Green as well, who kind of forms out a, a, a solid freshman trio for Arizona. They also have a slew of transfers headlined by Jamal Baker, the Kentucky sharpshooter. He's shooting 53% from deep for Sean Miller and company. So I think that this Arizona team is a sneaky, deep team that if they can kind of piece things together, if the freshmen can continue their solid contributions, I think that Arizona could be very dangerous come March. I love Arizona this year. They're just such a good shooting team. I mean, they're a really young team, uh, but at the same time, I, I really trust Sean Miller as a coach to, you know, just just teach these young guys to, uh, you know, become veterans. Nico Mannion looks amazing so far this year. He looks like a point god, uh, if I'm being honest. He's just, you know, he's kind of sneaky athletic. We'll talk more about him later when we go over our, you know, top 10 big boards, but he looks really good. Josh Green, again, you know, kind of as like a as a wing that can shoot. Uh, on the perimeter he looks really really good as well but um yeah i really like this team uh it's going to be interesting to see how they match up against teams like usc and oregon who we just went over so i'm excited to see how they play you know one one team that i look at and i think that you know there there's no there's not a ton of nba draft buzz in terms of this roster that they throw out there ohio state at four and oh they're number 10 in the AP poll uh, beat you beat Louisville in a scrimmage before the season, albeit only a scrimmage, but they're headlined by two junior big men in Kyle Young and Caleb Wesson, who is averaging a double double. And they also have a slew of talented guards uh, with DJ Carton, Washington junior and freshman EJ Liddell. Uh, you know, Ohio state isn't necessarily a sexy team to kind of roll with. I guess if I had to pick an adjective to describe them, they're not going to wow you by their playing style. They're just solid in terms of fundamentals and the fact that they, they make all the hustle plays that, you know, you wish the players on your team would make. So, you know, Ohio State is one of those teams that I'm not sure if they can win the Big Ten with Michigan State and Maryland. But I think that, you know, if Michigan State and Maryland are to trip up a couple of games, you could see Ohio State right in that mix. Yeah, I mean, the thing that stands out to me on this team is that there's nobody averaging over 12 points per game. So they've got, like, they are a really deep team. They could probably go 9 or 10 people deep on their lineup, you know, on a, on a daily basis. And that is huge during the tournament, having players that you could play, you know, deep in your lineup when your guys get tired. Um, I love this team. 
um, again, there's there's no like there's no big names on this team. They've got a couple freshmen, uh, but of course they're they're headlined by Kyle Young and Caleb Wesson. So I think you know it's just the big thing that stands out is this is a this is a team. There is nobody that's standing out too dramatically, and um, I, I really really do trust Chris Holtman uh, to to possibly win win the Big Ten. I don't necessarily think they will. Uh, you know, like you said with Michigan State. Uh, however, I, I think they could definitely come close. I agree. I think Chris Holtman is uh, one of the more underrated coaches in college basketball. Now, I know the next team on your list is headlined by a coach who I think is probably one of the top five coaches in America. Yes, Texas Tech. I love this team. And, you know, we Chris talked about – um, yeah, Chris Beard. I love Chris Beard. Uh, and Ramsey for this team, a freshman this year, he has looked amazing. Uh, you know, 19.6 rebounds and about two assists per game. But, I'm, I mean, this team looks so, so good. Uh, and, and I'm really excited to see uh, just how far they can take it because they've had a couple – they've had, like, these past couple of years, you know, they haven't been, you know, the best recruiters. Uh, but they've found guys and they've developed those guys into top ten draft picks. You know, like with Zaire Smith the past couple of years. Uh, last year it was Jarrett Culver. Jarrett Culver. And, um, yeah, and um, – you know, they've been like a consistent, you know, top five seed in, in, in the tournament. So we'll see how far that Chris Beard can take it. But uh, I'm very promised by this team. And uh, I think they could they could really do some special stuff. You know, uh, every year it seemed I, I seem to kind of overlook them at the start of the year just because of the pieces that they lose. But, uh, you know, last year, Chris, Chris Beard made me eat crow. They lost, I think, five of their top seven scorers with the Zaire Smith team. And they went to the national title game. Now, albeit they did have Jarrett Culver, and uh, they got a, um, a transfer in Matt Mooney. Uh, Moretti played absolutely phenomenal. Uh, there was a, t- a couple other guys on that team that really kind of pushed the Red Raiders on throughout the NCAA tournament. I think Jamius Ramsey is a guy, w- when we talk about our NBA draft boards, I think when it comes to maybe January, we could start seeing him generate that first-round buzz because he's so talented and so explosive. I, I want to see him become more of a one-trick pony. I want to see, you know, a little more uh, defensive effort, and I want to see him be able to create for some teammates more because I kind of see him projected as a point guard at the next level because of the size that he has. But, I mean, you, you're right. I mean, Moretti, Jami Ramsey and company, I think that Chris Beard has this team right where he wants them. You know, they're going to be geared for another Big 12 runs and NCAA tournament run. So, I am definitely looking forward to seeing Texas Tech play. Are there any more teams on your list? Uh, None on my list, but I do have a question for you. All right. Do you think Chris Beard could end up in the NBA? You know, know, that's always a question that I take with a grain of salt, and here's why. The NBA, you, you know, from a... From a coaching perspective, I think that Chris Beard could coach on any level and be successful. I don't think it's a matter of coaching. It's the it's the mentality, it's the identity of NBA coaching that really kind of, you know, really makes this kind of intriguing. I wasn't I wasn't really convinced that John Bayline was going to leave for the Cavs, and he did, and he was one of those guys that I thought was going to be a lifer at Michigan. So uh, I, I think that the it could definitely happen, but it just it's just a matter of how Chris sees his coaching career going. I think that you kind of have to eat crow and you have to 
play by the ways of your stars in the NBA, but I'm not saying that it's also impossible as well. All right. But uh, here, here's my question. You know, we talk about teams to watch. One of the teams that I was looking at at the beginning of the season that, as a potential dangerous team, they've really underwhelmed and un, you know put a, a ton of emphasis, highlight it, underline it, make it bold. The Florida Gators have been so underwhelming this year. Almost blew a lead today, I believe it was St. Joe's. I mean, yeah. what's going on I mean, with the, the Gators, mm. in your opinion? They're two and two right now, which is, I mean, that's tough. I mean, they they started the year third ranked in the AP poll, which is uh, that. I mean, you hate to see it, but at the same time, this team's just yeah, been it's been so disappointing. I mean, they've got like <laughs> they've got so, so many talent. top recruits. I mean, they they've got like two guys in the top twenty five that they got this year, and one Scotty Lewis. I expected to be so much better than he actually has been playing so far this year, and he I mean he really has been just uh, you know underwhelming. But you know this team's shooting twenty four percent from three and only forty six percent from two. So I mean it, it, that's they unacceptable. Don't have to assists as well. Like the the entire year they have forty three assists through four games, which is that is that. Not good. <laughs> um, it, it, it's literally unacceptable. And assists. That's 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 mind-boggling. Yeah, and here's the thing. Here's, that's just that's a sign of a poorly coached team. Right, and you know, no no disrespect to Mike White, but something has to change because here's the thing: Noah Locke, Andrew Nimhard, Trey Mann, those are guys who can hit the deep ball. So it's not like they don't have the shooters on their team. They do. They actually have a pretty good amount. And the fact that they're only shooting 46% as a whole, I mean, Kerry Blackshear and Keontae Johnson couldn't raise it because those are guys that play around the rim. And like you said, Scotty Lewis has just been one of those guys where I'm just sitting there like, uh, what are you doing, buddy? Where you at? I mean, it's kind of kind of reminds me of I'm not going to put him in the Nasir little category because I think that that's kind of a that's an outlier of its own. But it, it kind of picks up that same concept of there's there's so much hype revolving around the guy. He was the top 10 preseason prospect, in my opinion, and he just hasn't shown me anything in terms of consistency. I mean, he's got premier athleticism. Uh, I thought he was one of the smarter players coming out of the draft, could get a bucket in a plethora of ways. Just really hasn't shown anything, albeit it still is early. It's only November, but to say that if there was a team that is underwhelmed more than Florida I would love to see who it is I mean you've got you've got a couple guys on this team that that's averaging you know over three three points attempted per game and you know all of these guys uh, Scotty Lewis Andrew Nemhard, Noah Locke and uh, Trey Mann all of them are shooting sub 30 percent from three which is that's unacceptable because that, all those guys are supposed horrible. to be especially Locke, I would say, is probably the best pure three-point shooter on that team. I was really looking for him to take a step forward, especially in Nimhart as well. I mean, those are guys that, I mean, you know, you look at Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis, not necessarily making excuses for them, but they are freshmen. So this is really their first taste of college ball. Those other guys, there are no excuses. Yeah, I mean, it's it's completely unacceptable, and I I really think this team could be one to bounce back later in the year. But as soon, I mean, if they keep this up during conference play, it's not going to be pretty for Florida. Yeah, Florida, Florida reminds me of a team like uh, 
if they were to bounce back, it would be kind of 2016 Syracuse-esque in the fact that they would get in with a low seed, like a 12 seed, and be able to make a run just because of all the talent that they have and with the outside shooting as well. So I could see them potentially making a run that mirrors one of that Syracuse team, assuming that they do, though, because, I mean, not many teams ever really can make a Final Four run as a double-digit seed. But, yeah, Scotty Lewis was one of my top ten prospects. So with that that said, we'll transition into our top ten big board. And, uh, you know, we talked about it on the um, – off-the-glass basketball final mock draft last year, right before the draft. You know, just the misconception behind the mock draft and the big board. Two totally different things. It's, I mean, it's it's bad. The, there's just a huge misconception. You know, mock drafts. I mean, you're it, honestly, mock drafts, is, like, at this point, shouldn't even be a thing. Like, you, you no, got to wait until, like... Shouldn't. You gotta wait until like at least April to start doing mock you're drafts. Dart, you're throwing darts at a board. You don't even have the you don't even have the order even close to being set up yet. Yeah, you won't have the order until like May. So mock right. drafts are completely and totally pointless at this point, um, unless you're really playing the hypothetical game, which at this point, I mean, it's it's it should be a thing. <laughs> hey i mean it does get views <laughs> you're right i mean but the thing about it is i think the you know mock drafts are up or predictions big boards are your personal opinions so i think and you know mock drafts are kind of flavored with personal opinions but all in all when i do my mock drafts i i do it based upon what i think teams are going to do not what i would do in that situation so so with that right. being said our our big board number one and number two two guys that um have absolutely flourished. I know that you have him one and I have him two and we kind of flip flop with the first two. Colin Anthony, Anthony Edwards have been absolutely nothing short of phenomenal to start the year. Oh yeah. I absolutely love both of these players. Honestly, you could flip a coin and I would be happy either way uh, with, you know, either Cole Anthony or Anthony Edwards being number one, but I've got Cole as, as you know, the slight edge. Uh, he's just a phenomenal facilitator, a, uh, a a great shooter and a great rebounder. He's just an all around, you know, offensive, uh, honestly genius. He's just so, so good. Um, and Anthony Edwards, I mean, like his balance control and the way he can get to the rim is unlike any other guard that I've seen coming into the draft. It's just, it is insane. It's, it's, I, I'm at a loss for words. It's just like how good he is at, you know, getting to the rim and just honestly scoring in general. Um, I'm a little bit, I, I, I want to see like how good Georgia is. I'm not like sure. I'm not sold on how good that team's going to be. Like, I don't think they will. Edwards. I don't really think they will be that good. I think it's going to be one of those one man shows, you know, in the college game, Anthony will be able to carry them somewhat to an extent. But I don't necessarily see it being anything significant. I, I think that they they maybe sneak into the NCAA tournament. I'm not sold on them being a tournament team. Like you said about Edwards, I mean, he's so strong. Reminds me of having that James Harden-like strength with him being able to bully his way into the paint. And he kind of scores like Brad Beal in the way that he scores off balance. Like you said, he's, he can score off balance. That does not bother him whatsoever. He's th- a true three-level scorer, probably a uh, one of the best true scorers in the class. Cole Anthony can do a little bit of it all. One thing that I was looking to con- for for him to continue coming into college at Carolina was his three-point shot. 
And, you know, right away against Notre Dame, he put any any doubts to rest. I mean, the guy is a true phenom in the word. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really fun this year when you have a two-man race for the number one pick because last year, I mean, almost knew before this season who the number one pick was going to be. So to have a little bit of uh, fun in a race is going to be uh, really, really enjoyable for fans to watch. But like you said, you could flip a coin. I really just think it depends on who gets that number one pick. It, relatively, if you need a point guard, if you need a scoring guard, I think that Anthony Edwards, and I know you think Anthony Edwards could end up being a point guard at the next level because he does excel with the ball in his hands primarily. So it's really just going to be interesting to see how the order falls in terms of the draft lottery in May. I think uh, I think Anthony Edwards reminds me just a little bit of R.J. Barrett. I think he I think he could end up being a better like playmaker. Well, I don't think fit, he needs a more efficient R.J. Barrett would be my yeah yeah. What about I, Cole I agree Anthony, with that though. I mean, what do you who do you because you know you told me ago that you you didn't necessarily have a, a true pro comparison for Cole Anthony, and I I have to agree. I just you know I see there's facets game that kind of mirrors some of the pros but they're you know when I think of Cole Anthony there's not really one pro that I think of that sticks out I'd say Dame but like as a lot better of a rebounder on I think that's that's going to end up being my comparison just the way he can score uh you know at all three levels and I think he's the same level facilitator as Dame as well uh and of course he's a phenomenal shooter and that's one of Dame's main many calling cards so I think it, I think my comparison is going to end up being Damian Lillard but um just I got to watch a little bit more of him to to finalize that So does that mean that Cole Anthony starts a rap career as well uh, I mean, we've already got one call <laughs> in the like, rap industry. He, but do, does he not kind of resemble J. Cole in the way he looks, too? And J. Cole hoops, and he likes North Carolina. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> you cannot make yeah, this. I mean, and J. Cole's good, too. He's one of the best rapper <laughs> hoopers in the game. J. Cole was at North Carolina's training camp, too. I mean, it literally, I mean, they, they both got kind of the, the lazy dreads going on. I mean, it's it's really kind of scary. I'm going to be honest with you, Dylan. I'm, I'm kind of scared, but I'm also intrigued because I love J. Cole. I love Cole Anthony, so I'll let it slide. I would like to see yeah. Cole Anthony pick up a mic, though. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I, I want to see that for sure. Uh, so, uh, I, you, I, I love Cole Anthony. He's just he's so oh, yeah. talented. Absolutely a stud. Uh, that, that, that's really the top tier, in our opinions. You know, I think that they, they're, they're going to solidify themselves the second tier is where things get really interesting. Uh, three through however many you consider to be in that second tier. Uh, number three, I believe this is probably one of the, the, the last ones that we have together. Tyrese Maxey, the guard from Kentucky, you mentioned being a, a good two-way guard. I think probably one of the, the – I honestly think probably the best two-way guard in the class. I think he's probably one of the more NBA-ready players off the get-go. Uh, he's uh, very mature in his game, advanced in terms of his offensive skill set, and like you said, just an overall competitor with a great feel of the game. Yeah, he's—I mean, he's a competitor. He's and he's going to be a good player. Uh, I think that's—I think that's known. 
Um, I mean, he's he's just got so much higher of a floor than some of the other players in this draft class. Uh, I, I think that he's one of the guys that could end up jumping up into the conversation for being a top two pick. Uh, I'm just not necessarily convinced that he'll jump above either Cole Anthony or Anthony Edwards. He's going to have to have um, a so hell of a season to do so. I'd kind of put him in like a tier of his own, like right here, like a, like a little buffer tier between, you know, the top two and maybe yeah. the rest of the top five guys that, you know, could be in consideration for one of those picks. And there's a lot of players in that tier. Don't get me wrong. So um, I, I really like him. He, he's a, he should shoot better than what he's doing right now. He's only shooting like 25% from three right now. But, but he showed the Michigan up. State game that you can, he can hit it though. I mean, yeah, he showed he, early he, on. He's he going to be reliable. He's he going to be reliable. Um, and, you know, he's he's a really solid defender already, and that's only going to improve. Uh, he's about 6'3", but, I mean, he can play both the one and the two. So I really like Tyrese Maxey, and uh, I think he should be a great NBA player. You know, one of the things I hate when it comes to draft analysis, albeit I will acknowledge that there are there is some validity to these concerns, I don't think that Maxey's 6'3 frame is going to – take away the fact that he's going to be an elite level scorer at the next level. In my opinion, I think that he's too crafty, too quick. And he, I mean, he just has a tremendous feel for the game for the position that he plays at the combo guard. I, I could see him making the move to the one guard because he is able to make magic happen when he controls the ball. So, um, you know, I think that he's uh, an underrated facilitator as well but uh, hasn't really shown anything in terms of consistency. So, But I, I, I like the fact that you put him in a, in a tier, not necessarily with the others, but still kind of a little bit out of the way of the first two. So now the real fun starts. Number four, I know we both have international prospects, but not the same. Who's sitting at the fourth rank? Yeah, I mean, I've got Denny Avdija, and he's – I mean, he plays in Israel right now, probably a small forward. Uh, maybe he's going to be a two through four. It, I mean, positionless basketballs, it's just like so hard to pin a player down on one position now. So he's going to be one of those three positions, most likely. Um, he's just he's a really solid passer. Uh, he's not like he's not a spectacular athlete by any means, but I mean, he can he can get to the rim. He's a really like he is a phenomenal cutter. Uh, like he can I mean, like. Off ball, he can get to the basket, and I think that's going to be one of the better traits. He, I mean, his defending could be better, but uh, I mean, he's going to be able to defend, you know, NBA two threes and fours. So uh, I really like Danny Fdija. Um, I think he could end up going higher than like I think he could end up being like the third overall pick, possibly above really? Tyrese Maxey. Just I mean, it really depends on uh, like the team that's picking here. Like, you know, if it's the Warriors uh, picking at third, are they going to pick Tyrese Maxey, another guard, when they have, you know, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, right, uh, yeah. Angela Russell, or are they going to pick a forward? Um, so, I mean, it's really going to come down to the teams uh, that, that that's picking here. Uh, but I really do like Danny FDJ. I think he's one of the higher ceiling prospects in this one. And uh, I think he's got, like, a solid floor as well. Like, he, he's he sort of... You know, I, I I would put him slightly above the other guys for now. But again, he he's one of those guys that could fall, you know, the 10 to 13 range. So we'll see. Yeah, um, you know, there, there's a ton of international flavor, especially the top half of this uh, draft class. Unlike last year, it seemed like last year the best uh, best prospect was Batadza. 
end up getting taken to the Pacers with, I want to say, like the 18th pick or somewhere in that range. But um, you're right. I think there's a couple international prospects that um, that really deserve top consideration. Denny Avdija is the best international prospect on my board outside of uh, the guy that we're going to talk about next. Um, I, I love Denny Avdija's game in terms of he, he is a, a three and D type of wing. Nothing spectacular in terms of physical measurables. Uh, I think that he's listed as six, nine. I, I'm not sure to any truth of that, considering that there is kind of a, um, a real a drop off in the amount of film that one can watch except for highlight tapes. But he he's an underrated passer. I, I love his cut game that you talked about. He's he's very smart in terms of basketball IQ. Can come in right away and be able to make a mark on the team that he plays for. I think that he has a high ceiling. I also do think he has a high floor or a high floor as well, just because it it really is a matter of how his game translates to a league with better athletes in it. So he's going to be, he's going to be forced to use that IQ forced to use that length at his position to really stand out. The next guy as my number four, I went with LaMelo ball. I will say that I'm drinking more of the LaMelo ball Kool-Aid than some are. I don't think that he will go first overall. Like some do. Um, I think that that's just kind of a pipe dream. When you look at um, highlights from, two years ago, him pulling up from half court and hitting one out of every seven. So, I mean, I don't think that Lomelo ball is that same player. I want to see him become a better facilitator and shoot the ball better with better shot selection. But I think the talents there, I think that um, his will for the game and his mentality has grown. But I also think as well, you know, you look at it from a, a game perspective, from an organizational perspective, he's going to put people in seats. So I could really see him going top five, but I believe in the sheer talent that LaMelo has. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of the more talented players in this draft class. I'm just, a, I've got a little bit, you know, more questions about whether he's going to be able to piece it all together. Uh, you know, like, would you trust him bringing the ball up for your offense? Would you trust him facilitating your offense? Those are questions that I need him to answer first before I put him above other players. Uh, but, you know, he's seventh ranked on my board, uh, you know, below guys like Danny Avdija, Tyrese Maxey. I think he's just, you know, a little bit of a step below those guys right now. I mean, I've got like eight players in this, like, you know, tier two uh, from like four to like 11, like that sort of range. So, I mean, it's a really crowded field and he's one of the players that's going to be able to likely separate himself uh, just because he's playing in a foreign league. So if he can get, you know, his shot selection back to where it should be, because it, it hasn't been great these past few games and, you know, for his team, it, it's just, I mean, I do like LaMelo Ball, um, and I think he's got tons and tons of potential. I mean, you could see him, you know, you watch you, you watch Chino Hills, and he was amazing for that team. Some of the stuff he was able to do, uh, I know he had like a couple 70-point games for Chino Hills or whatever, uh, but really, we, I mean, we haven't just like seen seen anything. Like, I would love it if he was playing for UCLA right now, just because right. it would be so much easier to, like, compare him against players uh, that that are that are like on this big board that we're talking about right now. So um, I do like I, I really do like Lamilla Ball, and I do think he'll end up going top ten, uh, regardless of if he per- performs as uh, as I expect this year. And not to mention, he's a six eight point guard. You don't come by those. There aren't a dime a dozen in terms of people that size in that position. So that's going to be interesting as well. I do think he projects as a point guard at the next level as well. I think yes. that his 
facilitating ability is it it's very interesting because it can be really good or it can be really filled with a bunch of bonehead decisions. I think Lamelo tries to jump the gun. I think he tries to do too much more more often than not. But when he's settled down, when he's composed, I mean, his basketball knowledge is better than people would give him credit for. This next guy, number five, basketball knowledge off the charts, best defender in the class. One of those freshmen that wasn't necessarily that highly rated coming out of high school. Isaac Okoro from Auburn. Absolutely love his game. There's always one player at the start of the season that jumps up the rankings. This guy took a rocket and blasted off up to the top five for me. I love his game. I think that he could guard multiple positions at the next level, but I also think that he has an honest NBA offensive toolkit as well because I think he can hit the three. He can create his own shot lightweight, but I also think he can get to the rim with crafty dribbling as well. So I'm, I'm interested to see your thoughts on Okoro. Yeah, I mean, he is my sixth ranked player right now, so I'm really not that far behind you on him. Uh, But, you know, I mean, he's probably going to be one of the better defenders in this class, if not the best defender in the top 10 at the very least. Uh, But I mean, I mean, if he can just get a solid offensive game, you know, hit the three consistently, uh, get to the rim with ease like you'd see from these other top players, then I really think he could cement himself as a as a top five pick. It's really just going to depend on how Auburn uses his offensive game, uh, because honestly, with what I've been seeing, Auburn's been using him as kind of like a power forward almost, which is just it's it's kind of like it. I mean, offensively, it's a weird fit, but defensively, I mean, he can pretty much guard everybody, so it doesn't really matter from that standpoint. I'm interested to dive into more film on him. I haven't watched too too much, but from what I've seen, he's he's very very nice. Yeah, I think that he's underrated offensively. It's just one of those. I agree. I think that Auburn's using him as more of like a stretch guard forward hybrid rather than a two guard to where I think he projects in the league or maybe even you a small three when it comes to small ball. Who would that be? Zaire Smith. I like that because From, uh, it seems like Texas Tech. Texas Tech played him at like a power forward role as well. And now he's a yeah. two guard in the NBA as well. So at number five, I had Okoro. Who do you have at number five? I've got Nico Mannion guard out of Arizona and he looks red I mean, his devil. offensive game. He looks so good. Like his, he's a just the way he can get to the he's basket. I mean, he's so good. I mean, his facilitating is amazing. Probably, honestly, the best in this class, if I'm being honest. Like the way he can pass, it's just, it. I mean, I love the way he runs that Arizona offense. And if he can carry them to, you know, along with Josh Green and some other players on that team, uh, if he can carry them to like maybe a top three seed in the in, in the NCAA tournament, I could easily see him going in the top seven-ish picks, uh, but I really do like Nico Mannion. Yeah, I think Nico Mannion, um, I call him the Red Devil, just because of uh, the vibrant ginger look that he has. Uh, he, he he has the ball in a string in every sense. I mean, he is a crafty dribbler, like you said, a phenomenal distributor. I, I love his offensive arsenal because I think that he is a very crafty scorer as well, can hit the deep ball, can pull up in the mid-range, and can fly out in transition and penetrate inside the lane as well. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing Nico play. You know, if there was a league pass for the NCAA, I think that Arizona would be a top five, top ten team to look out for just with the, the amount of studs on the team highlighted by a guy like Nico Mannion. You know, one thing I, di- I didn't realize this, Nico was actually born in Italy. So he's kind of an Italian mm-hmm. or, or Italian. He's an international based prospect. So 
it's kind of interesting to say. I had Denny as my number six, and I know you had Isaac as yours. Uh, number seven, who did you have? I've got Mello. Okay, and I had Nico, so there, that knocks out the top seven. Number eight. Yeah, so four through seven, pretty much the same. Yeah, just different order. It's, it's, it's just kind of uh, just kind of pushed through. You know, here's the, here's my dilemma with the guy at number eight. I realize that he has a top five talent level in this draft class. He's so talented, but I just am not going to be able to see him play this year. If he would have decided to go to Kansas, I think that R.J. Hampton could have real top five consideration. Maybe he could if he goes into the uh, draft combine, decides to work out and run scrimmages and stuff like that. But, you know, a guy that um, could light it up from deep and really score in a a bunch of different ways, R.J. Hampton is an exciting player. I have him at number eight just based upon talent alone. But, you know, the the bad part about playing overseas is you might not necessarily be able to help your stock, but you also could see other guys leapfrog you because scouts aren't seeing you play as much. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too, too high on R.J. Hampton. I've got him as my 12th ranked player right now. Um, but, I mean, his overall offensive game is something special. You know, he can shoot, he can score at all three levels. Uh, he's somewhat of a passer. So I really do wish I could see more of him this year, but it's going to be unfortunate that I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to have to, like, really dive deep on, like, trying to find film on him. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting for sure, but um, I, I really hope that he succeeds. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, R.J. Hampton? I don't really have too, too much. Yeah, you know, the only bad, the thing but is you can only base it off a of high school ball because, I mean, you don't really get to see him too much in the, in the uh, next level until he gets to the NBA. I think that there could be a team that gambles on him up top and not necessarily think, think that he's a top three pick, but once you get anywhere from four to ten, I think that you could see him go just because, I mean, Scouts don't necessarily just forget about a player when they go overseas. So, I mean, they still have tabs on him. I mean, he's just lower on my big board and lower on yours, respectively, just because, I mean, you don't really get to see him that much. So who, who's landing at number eight on yours? I've got Anyeka Okonkwo uh, for USC Trojans. I think he's Ooh. just an amazing defensive center. I, I mean, he this is like this is going to be my draft crush, I think. He's just, he is so, so talented. I think he's averaging like 25 points per game and like 12 rebounds or something crazy like that. Um, but of course, that's probably going to go down once he hits conference play. But I mean, in his debut, he had eight blocks. And that's just, mm, I, I mean, he's like, he's nimble enough to where he can score in the post. Uh, he's like, he's athletic for a center. Like, you don't really see his level of athleticism for big guys. He's just, he's so talented. I mean, he can score inside. He can score at the rim. Uh, he's probably going to be a better cutter than most centers. Um, and he's just a phenomenal rim protector. He's probably the best rim protector in this draft class. So, he was on Chino Hills as well, along with Lamella Ball. He he just did kind of like the dirty work. He didn't get like any of the publicity though. But I really do right. like uh, Anyeka Okonkwo. But uh, I think he's better than James Wiseman, at least in my opinion. That's interesting. Uh, he he's rising up my board. I, I I've been watching more film on him, admittedly, but I still I have to see him in the setting that USC plays with. Uh, I believe it's Isaiah Mobley is the player. I think Evans, the 2021 guy, correct, or 2020 guy. I believe I forget what I get mixed up, but I think that he, I I love the physical measurables. I think that he's a guy that I think he's going to have to add a little weight in terms of upper body strength, just because I think that for his role, I'd like to see him become more consistent from deep 
because I think that he might be able to hop into a little bit of a Jaron Jackson Jr. fit if yeah, that would be a, that's exactly. a, a reasonable fit if, if he can step out and hit that jump shot. So um, he he's cracking into – I think I have him right now at number 19, but that's just because I'm just – I haven't seen too much on him. So obviously still early. The, the verdict is yeah, still I'm, out on – for sure, for sure. And I think his three-point shot will come eventually. He's, I mean, he's shooting like 80% from the free throw line as of right now. And that's usually more indicative of a three-point shot than the actual three-point line in college. Um, however, I, I mean, I think he'll actually gain that shot. And he does look like, I mean, he just looks like Jaron Jackson right now. He, he's like, he's a little bit thin, right. uh, but I do think he'll grow into his frame a little bit. He's still very young. Yeah. Uh, you know, number nine and number 10, I know that we have, it's the same for ours. Uh, you know, there's always a prospect where I think it was Rui Hachimura last year with the national mainstream media had him. Uh, Jay Billis, most notably, had him as a top 10 prospect. He wasn't even a top 20, in my opinion. James Wiseman, people have him as, uh, they always coin him as a, a potential number one pick. He's the number nine prospect on your and my board. Um, just talk to me about your concerns with Wiseman and why, you know, it seems like NBA draft analysts are lower on him than mainstream media. He is replaceable and that is huge. I mean, like he just seems like a guy that would flourish in the 1990s and, uh, and really you don't want that in, in, in what's essentially going to be 2020 at, at like three decades later. So honestly you want, if you're going to draft a big man in the top three, he better be special at every single thing he does. Um, because honestly they're becoming more and more obsolete as we saw with DeAndre Ayton. Um, and you know how teams passed on, you know, Luka Doncic for both he and Marvin Bagley. Um, and we see that, you know, the two guards in that draft class ended up being the most special players out of that class. And I, I, I don't know. I think that James Wiseman is could be a good player, but at the end of the day, his skill set is going to be replaceable. Um, I mean, as we're seeing with DeAndre Ayton right now being replaced by Aaron Baines and the Suns actually having some success. Uh, so I think that his offensive game, uh, it, it's good. It, it, it could definitely be a little bit better. He could be more consistent from three. Um, but, you know, he's, he's just kind of physically dominating people right now. And uh, honestly, what he's doing right now, just I don't think it's going to work in the NBA. Yeah, I think yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You know, one thing that you strikes me in the wrong way about Wiseman, when he gets the ball in the paint, you might as well sit down and read of mice and men. You'll probably get finished with it because he's not <laughs> passing that ball out. He's just not. He, he's kind of a black hole-esque type center when it comes to him getting he, – he plays with his head down. I mean, you know, this, he's a true seven-footer. I mean, the guy has good size. He's got good instincts. Um, he, he's he's an okay shooter from deep. He can hit the shot. I don't necessarily see him projecting as a guy who's going to be able to hit the shot in the consistency that Carl Anthony Towns does in the league. But uh, I think that Wiseman can hit the shot. I just don't like like you said. I mean, he's replaceable, and it seems like that's kind of the way the name of the game in the modern NBA is. Big men don't hold the weight that they used to, like a guy like Dwight Howard would in 2009 with the Magic. You don't see a guy hold uh, a weight like that. So, I mean, I think that you'd be foolish to take him top three, even top five. I think it depends on what what, what team has what pick when it comes to six through ten or eleven. But I just don't see – I think that Wiseman 
has a potential high. I think he could be an Andre Drummond-esque stat sheet guy when he averages like 20 and 17. I just don't think I would think that they'd be a little more empty calories in that regard, though. He just kind of reminds me of like Jaleel Okafor. I mean, I don't, I can't like put my finger on it. It's just like the way I can see it. I could see somewhat, but I think that the way they play, you know, Okafor was kind of a finesse guy, a little smaller, but I, I, it's it's more like a, it's more like a, like them becoming obsolete rather than. No, I understand. I understand. I I think that both of their games are not suited for the modern NBA. If this is the nineties, I think that Okafor might be an all-star. I also think that James Wiseman could be an all-star as well. Yeah, I mean, if this is the 1990s, James Wiseman is absolutely a number one pick. The problem is, I mean, we're teams not are playing in the 90s. four out, five out. Yeah, I mean, and he's just, he's not an elite rim protector. And if you're going to draft a center, they better be a top three rim protector in the NBA, especially if you're going to do it first overall. And that's the only reason why I had J- Jaron Jackson Jr. so high is because he could project as a guy who could step out and hit the deep shot, but also... He's such a good rim protector for his size as well. A lot of links. So moving on to the last spot on our board, both of us had, I believe you had Theo Maladon, didn't you not? Yeah, I had Theo Maladon for sure. Yeah. Uh, I already really like- pronounced it, guys. I try to put a little bit of, of a French <laughs> twist on it, but honestly, I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue. I'm usually like, I'm okay with, with European names. I got to like, I got to. But Ted's last year, he was, he was a bit of a, of a head scratcher though, because I'm still not truly sure on how to pronounce his name. Go go Batadze. <laughs> I've heard it's Goja. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here. I have no idea what's going on. But regardless, it, I, I think, think it's I think it's either <laughs> one. <laughs> Who cares? But I think that Maladon. I think that he is the. I honestly think he's the best class, best classer, best passer in the class. I think that his vision is uh, a one i think that it's the top of his 2020 class um i I question his athleticism his first step is kind of subpar Uh, he struggles with getting by uh, big men in the european ranks so i have to question how he's going to be able to do in the uh the nba with a bigger better faster stronger athletes uh in the national basketball association but I, i i think that he could project as a good half court scorer because he does have a good touch from deep, and he's smart enough to be able to utilize the pick and roll uh, to a high level. I think he's a, he's a guy that tries on defense. I don't necessarily think he's ever going to be an elite defender, but uh, effort goes a long way, and I think that uh, Maladon is sitting at number 10. I honestly think he could probably be a little – he might rise up a little bit, but, but the bad thing is it's the name of the game with the international prospects. You just don't get to see him as much. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean – I think he could end up sneaking up a little bit higher, um, you know, if he plays well in, in say, EuroLeague. Uh, but I'm just not convinced he will, just given his, you know, skill set. Because, honestly, NBA teams draft athleticism. And, uh, I mean, that's part of the reason why players like Luka Doncic fall a little bit every time that, you know, they're seen in the draft. Um, you know, just athleticism goes such a long way for NBA talent evaluators. And um, Theo Maladins, he's just kind of a little bit below average of an athlete. And uh, that's just going to be killer to his draft stock. I mean, if he was, I mean, if he was able to blow by European bigs, then uh, I, I mean, you would see him. <laughs> you would have, you would have him much higher than 
say, you know, James Wiseman and Yeku Nkankwu and possibly LaMelo right. Ball. But the problem is just, you know, his ability to get to the rim. And honestly, his all-around offensive game, it's it's just unreliable. So, I mean, if he can work on his consistency and, and you know, be able to to become that offensive player that you would want him to be, then possibly he could become, you know, a top seven guy. Yeah, I, I could see him. I, I don't necessarily think he's going to fall too much on my big board because I think he's a solid player, but I, I don't really see him. I, I don't think he'll ever rise into the top five unless I see a highlight tape where he's yamming on people and blowing blowing by people at a, an elite speed. So there's not too much athleticism there. So that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, as always, uh, I don't think we described this in the beginning of the episode. The Bracket Breakers pod is uh, – is going to revolve around anything and everything college basketball and NBA draft. Um, there's really nothing off topic or out of limits. Um, even touch on some recruiting as well. Signing day coming up in the next month. There's going to be heating up there. So Dylan, uh, do us all a favor. Uh, let us know where we can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me at Dylan T. Jackson on Twitter. Uh, also listen to my Charlotte Hornets podcast at the 11th pick podcast uh, on Twitter. So, yeah, <laughs> you can find me at defense underscore on Twitter. Uh, as always, follow the um, follow, retweet, share, whatever on the uh, Bracket Breakers podcast Twitter page. It's at Bracket Breakers. And uh, be sure to um, keep a lookout on the uh, podcast being added to platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and all that good stuff. So that wraps it up for the pilot episode. We're signing off. We'll be back here soon. So everyone take care.